This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Happy Sunday. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Dating and Relationship Show. You're listening to AM640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca. And thank you to all of you for joining us uh, again tonight. How can eating disorders impact relationships? This week on the Dating and Relationship Show, we are joined by Kyla Fox, who will be giving us some insight into this. Kyla is a clinical therapist and the founder of the Kyla Fox Center, an eating disorder outpatient treatment center in Toronto that provides individualized care based on each person's unique needs. And as someone who you know, struggled herself with an eating disorder, Fox identified uh, care gaps and fundamental flaws in the treatment and recovery approach. She's also a public speaker. She's a writer. She's an educator, an advocate and media expert for eating disorders. And tonight we're going to be discussing the current state of eating disorders, how they impact relationships and how you at home can support someone who is dealing with this. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight, Kyla. How's it going? Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Of course. So let's start our conversation tonight uh, by getting a little more insight into eating disorders. All right. So what would you say uh, or what would you classify as an eating disorder? Um, And does it come in different forms? I think when most people think about eating disorders, they probably think about categories they've heard like anorexia or bulimia or binge eating or orthorexia, to name a few. The way that I actually think about eating disorders and the way that we think about them at the center is really understanding them as binging, purging, and restricting. And there's a reason for this. Most people who are impacted by eating disorders don't fit perfectly into those boxes of categories that are described. And so often what they end up feeling is that they're not doing the eating disorder right. So they may have features of anorexia, but they may not have all of the features, or they may have features of binge eating, but they may not have all of the features, or they may have features of binge eating and bulimia and anorexia. And so the thing that Um, I think about most when I think about eating disorders and how to understand them is that the behaviors of binge, purge, and restrict are often quite fluid. And most people who are impacted by eating disorders are engaging in all or some or one of those symptoms at different times in different capacities over the course of their suffering. So it's important to consider a wide spectrum when we're looking at eating disorders and not to necessarily label. I was just going to say quickly, so if we're constantly dieting, is that, is that an eating disorder? Yeah, it's a great question, you know, especially because we live in a diet culture that really promotes restriction, right? Like don't eat this or don't, don't eat that, that. Or don't eat at this time or don't eat for this amount of time or only eat these things. And so in, in, in my world, I would say that, yes, that is certainly on the spectrum of eating disorders and disordered eating because it encapsulates restriction. It encapsulates rules and regulations. And they're often not things that people can um, adhere to for the long haul or they become so imprisoned by them. And then those rules and regulations end up governing that person's life. Yeah, it's so 
confusing. Like, you know, you're supposed to fast and you're supposed to eat keto and you're supposed to avoid carbs, but you're supposed to have uh, things that metabolize slowly in your body. Like there's so much conflicting information out there. You can see mm-hmm. how people get overwhelmed with all of that. And then we add a pandemic on top of that. So has eating disorders uh, become more prevalent now than before the pandemic? And why is that? The quick answer, Joan, is yes. And actually eating disorders have never been more prevalent. There have never been as many people suffering into the extent to which they are suffering. There is such limited services available. Our hospital systems are at maximum capacity times 100. Wait lists are, which once used to maybe be six months, are now, you know, 18 months, if 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 even that. Um, the the pandemic has made eating disorders uh, an absolute catastrophe, and the 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 ways in which people are suffering, the amount of people are suffering, is 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 quite unbelievable. The way we've been constricted or the actual COVID itself or the restrictions put on us? I think it's so many things, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's the restrictions that COVID put on us. I think it's the lack of socialization that we had for all of the years. I think it's being removed from this, from so many things that we all require in order to be healthy and well-rounded. Um, I think it's the lack of control that we've all had and often how food can enable an illusion of control, right? So if you're controlling your body and if you're controlling what you're eating, then that's maybe an illusion of control over the fact that the world is really out of control. I also think the pandemic really instilled a lot of fear as well around going out, getting food, will there be enough food? you know, and, and a focus mm-hmm. on all the ways that we can fill our time engaging in cooking and baking and feeding and binging. And, you know, there was, there's, there was so many messages, particularly at, at the beginning stages of the pandemic, but, but I think overall, um, you know, eating disorders are really about what's happening for a person at a much deeper level. They're about, you know, psychological issues, relational issues, trauma, genetics, family dynamics, um, you know, self, a person's self-concept. So when we think about what the pandemic did is it, it, it really sabotaged all of those pieces if they weren't already vulnerable before. And so food then becomes a vehicle for a person to actually start to articulate or avoid having to articulate a lot of those things in their lives. I also think there's so many other things that were exacerbated because of the pandemic, like, you know, mental illness really came to the front and center and a lot of focus because people were, were quite delicate. Um, so would an eating disorder, I mean, it's tragic about these waiting lists, particularly about eating disorders, but would that be considered a form of a mental health issue? Eating disorders are mental health issues. They're actually mental health, mental health issues with the highest mortality rate over most any mental health issue. Wow. And, yeah, and, and, and it's always been the case. And I think the reason why it's a bit confusing and perhaps often why people think they're not mental health issues and they're issues with food or the body 
is because of course they present in food in the body. And so um, what ends up happening is they're often misunderstood. What's, what's going on in a person's mind in terms of the noise that is happening for them in their mind, the in, incessant and pervasive narratives around what to eat, what not to eat, how terrible they are, how much they need to do this or that. Um, I think that is the piece that people don't necessarily understand about eating disorders, the way that someone's brain and mind is really overtaken. And that is why it is a mental health issue. And if it's a mental mm. health issue, then it's been inflicted by society, right? We yeah, and, and life experience and all the things that make us and shape, shape us, you know, that's, that's, that's ultimately what leads to so many mental health issues, mm -hmm. being one of those things. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a direct them. link. There's a direct link between your self-esteem and what you ate or what you didn't eat. Well, I think, Is that right? I think, you know, there's a lot of messages obviously in the world, socially in our, you know, social media around, you know, what you eat and how you should feel about that and what you should do right and what is wrong. And I think all of those pieces are, you know, hammered home excessively. So it's hard to know what a person even feels on their own without all of these messages that are being bombarded around what they should be doing or not when it comes to food in their body. But then I guess we can say that, you know, this affects many of us because I, I mean, every time I have a conversation with most of my friends, we're always restricting ourselves from eating certain things. We're always watching our weight. You know, would you like one of those? No, I can't right now. I'm like watching what I'm eating. So if restricting ourselves from eating certain foods, for example, at certain times, right? If we are doing this, how are we ever supposed to lose weight if we don't restrict ourselves? Laura, you're speaking to sort of the, the biggest <laughs> dilemma, right? You know, this is, this is like, like the normalization of restriction or diet culture. And, and what you're speaking to is just that, you know, I think, and I think it's just become such a normal way that we all live that we don't actually even stop and think like, what are we even saying? And why do we feel this way? And that piece around losing weight, which is built on, which is built on, you know, thin privilege and fat phobia and all of these cultural and social norms that really support um, eating disorder behavior and normalize it. But in fact, you know, when you're engaging with food and you have all of these rules and rituals, you are, you, you are on some level restricted or imprisoned or not able to just be with food and be free with food and feel good about the decisions that you're making and be connected to your body and feel, you know, happy in your life when you're with your friends and you're all going out and just being able to enjoy the experience without all of these restrictions that have come to be really normalized. Mm. Yeah, no, I think the best way to lose weight is through food. Whenever I lose weight, it's because I'm eating really well. I'm making good choices. It makes me feel good. And I'm listening more to my body. And I guess that's the point that a lot of people that are struggling with eating disorders, somehow they've lost sight of that. So um, is, is that the goal of the work that you do? You mean to help people lose weight or? To no, no, not at all. To just connect with their body. Yes, 100%. Like I think when we're endlessly on 
us to change our body, that's when we're separating from ourselves. That's when it's so dangerous. That's when we're going to make, or, you know, when eating disorders or, or disordered eating is going to come in and make really harmful decisions that take us away from ourselves. Our intention always is to help people have a strong relationship with their body and one where your mind and your body are working together. It's time for a quick break, ladies. When we come back, we're gonna be discussing the causes of eating disorders. Stay with us. You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640. I'm Laura Bellotta with Joan Kelly Walker and our special guest, Kyla Fox. And we are uh, discussing eating disorders. And we are discussing eating disorders tonight. And you know what? I want to start chatting now about how eating disorders can impact relationships. Kyla, it's a pretty broad topic. How does it come into play? Has COVID had an influence on this? Uh, how do eating disorders impact relationships? They very much impact relationships. And there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, I think the, the, the most important thing to remember is that when someone is affected by an eating disorder, they're essentially not really themselves, right? They're, they've sort of been taken over by these ways in which they need to be and behave and how their life has to organize around the eating disorder. And so one of the really fundamental ways that eating disorders interrupt relationships is that you know, you're often in a relationship with the eating disorder versus the person because so much of eating disorders, they live in secrecy, they live in silence. Certain, you know, when a person is suffering, they have to do certain things and be at certain places in certain times. There's so many um, practices and behaviors that a person is engaging with. And in relationship, that person is still going to need to be carrying out those practices, those harmful behaviors. And that means that relationships really have an eating disorder in them. And so when we're working with couples or when we're working with families or when we're, we're working with loved ones, we're always talking about the different ways that people in relationship organize around the eating disorder. Because often people in relationships may not even know that the person that they love is, is suffering. And um, that's, that's because they might not even be aware of the different ways that that person has to navigate the world and their relationship with food and their body. Um, and so part of what we try to do is really close the gap on um, the eating disorder, taking up space in that relationship and, and eliminating any enabling behavior and actually bringing more honesty to the forefront, which really starts to squash the eating disorder um, and the space that it has in a relationship but it's a, it's a long process and it requires a lot of commitment between people to do that. So I can just imagine how difficult it is for someone to go to their partner and let them know this information. Oh, by the way, I've been hiding this thing from you and I now want you to know about it. Like, I think a lot of people would be really terrified to come forward with that. And that probably stresses you know, totally stress anybody out. So, um, and my other question is, are there certain groups that are more affected by this than other groups, like teenage girls, for example, like people that are still new and young in relationships? 
Um, I, to, the, to answer to your first question, Joan, I think you're right. You know, um, despite the fact that there's so much more awareness and mental health is so much more spoken about these days, there is an unbelievable amount of shame that is still attached to suffering with any mental health issue, but 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 also, of course, with eating disorders. And so you're right in that um, it can be an unbelievably challenging place where a person finds themselves knowing that they're suffering, knowing that they need support, maybe also not even knowing at times as well, uh, feeling like they can handle it on their own or maybe they can get through it, but getting to a place where they feel safe enough, where they can sort of take that jump into being honest requires a tremendous amount of courage. And um, it can often feel really surprising for a loved one if they hadn't known. And that's why I think it's really important if that information does come out, just, just how to respond supportively and take action to um, get help together in it. Because um, if, if someone you love has an eating disorder, you essentially do too. You, you maybe don't even know about it or you don't even have the food and body symptoms but you're on the roller coaster and maybe it's one that you haven't even known you've been on. But I think the disclosure of, uh, of, of struggling in this way is an opportunity to step into a lot of change. And I think everybody involved in that person's life plays a really big role in that. Let's discuss some of the causes of eating disorders so that we can maybe prevent them from happening in the first place. I know society plays a big part. Um, so if we can discuss that now, that'd be great. Uh, there, there are so many, you know, I, I think, I think what's important to remember, like I had said before, is that eating disorders aren't necessarily about food and body, but they become about food and body. So they're really about the things that happen at a much deeper level for a person and the things that shape people's lives. So um, genetically, where we come from, um, our family of origin, the experiences that we've had in our life that have shaped us, loss, trauma, joy, um, opportunities, or the lack thereof, our sense of self, um, our constitution. There are so many things that make us vulnerable or resilient to developing all kinds of experiences. And so when we think about eating disorders, of course, you know, we're addressing food and body at the front, but simultaneous we're always helping people to explore and dig into those parts of their life, which are really where the eating disorder is rooted in. And um, that's what makes recovery complex. And that's what makes recovery long and often really hard. Because if you're just going to shift what a person is doing with food, let's say if they would even, then, then you're going to be able to help them to maybe, you know, have more nutrition or more balance or more regulation with their intake. But ultimately, you're not going to get to the why behind why this happened. You're not going to get to the roots of it. And so that often leaves people, you know, maybe changing their dynamics with food, but they're short lived because as soon as they're back in their lives, their old patterns come about again. So it's really important, I think, that um, the relationship between food and the body, in addition to all of the therapeutic work, happen at the same time. So that as people are changing their relationship with food, they're also changing their relationships with things in their life that have deeply impacted them, that have affected them, and that the people in their life are a part of that as well. But, uh, back to that uh, previous question, uh, are there certain groups that are more affected with eating disorders than other 
groups of people. Yeah. You know, Joan, it's so interesting because I think when a lot of people think about eating disorders, they think about adolescent girls and adolescent girls obviously um, are a high population, a prevalent population for those affected by eating disorders. However, um, it's interesting at the center, I would say that the most prevalent population that we treat and that we see for the long term are women aged 25 to 40. And hmm. so, hmm. and, and the other important thing to remember about that is that everyone in, 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 in and around and in between all of that are also deeply affected by eating disorders. So men and boys and um, older people and younger people, children. Um, but what I think is important to remember is, you know, eating disorders, they, they don't discriminate. Nobody is exempt from the possibility of developing one. And um, this, isn't, this isn't a young adolescent problem. This is a widespread problem. And I think one of the reasons why it's maybe shocking, you know, to even consider that women aged 25 to 40 would be suffering with eating disorders is, is because I think that really speaks to how much secrecy and silence people live in when they are suffering. You know, so many people with eating disorders are incredibly high functioning, amazingly successful, capable, competent people, you know, parents, professionals, students, like you name it. And so I think that's where it becomes really confusing because how could this person be suffering if they're so competent? And that's, that's why eating disorders are often unseen. But I think you know, to speak to maybe why women aged 25 to 40 is such a, you know, uh, prevalent population that we treat, I would say, you know, it's a time of life where I think so many decisions are being made about who you are in the future, your career, maybe finishing school, starting a family, um, you know, really trying to put the pieces together to build a life Often, I think um, maybe eliminating what a, what you even feel about that, or what you even want, or what you even need. And so, I think when the eating disorder maybe comes to the forefront, what we find is that a lot of our clients are asking those questions, maybe even for the first time. And um, that's the really deep and important work in recovery. And I know that social media plays a huge role, you know, for people dealing with this and it can be so negative at times. Like we uh, scrolling through and you, 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 like people, they look perfect. Some of them. Right. And a lot of it's Photoshop, but we don't think of it as being Photoshop. So what, what kind of like advice do you have for people that are dealing with uh, an eating disorder? Um, and when it comes to social media and, and navigating the world of social media? Mm -hmm. I think it's what you, I think it's exactly what you spoke to, Laura, you know, I, I mean, I'm even thinking about it in so far dating, you know, this idea that you get up on an app and you put a picture, a couple of pictures up of yourself and, you know, people scroll through and they swipe right or left and it means something based on the picture you post, you know, there's so much, there's so much power um, given to what a person looks like. There's so much power, therefore, in how people feel they're supposed to look. And um, I think social media contributes to that as well. You know, um, I, I think that 
uh, when we're when we're feeling vulnerable with ourselves, when we're insecure, when we feel uncertain, you know, we, you could scroll through and it could just tarnish you. Right. I mean, um, I think part of what's really important um, in, in, in life and, and in recovery is being able to move away from the things that negatively impact you and we'll never be able to move away from social media. But the focus on bodies and beauty um, you know, always has been incredibly prevalent, but even more so because it's, it's in our faces every second, you, we can't avoid it. And like you said, it's, 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 it's filtered. It's, it's, uh, you know, all the, all the different things that people do to change how they really look to perfect a certain ideal, you know, we're all vulnerable to these messages and images all the time. Um, and I think it's important to be able to shut that off, especially if you're feeling uh, really vulnerable to it. And to really start to follow people or, um, you know, be on certain social media sites and such that really support the person that you are, the values that you have, um, just as you are. Mm -hmm. and, and that not everything you see is real. And there's no such thing as perfection. And those people, when we look at them and we think, oh, they're so lucky, they have the perfect body. They're also, you know, some of them are looking at themselves and they're not happy with themselves either. And they're thinking, oh, I wish I had the perfect nose or we're always looking for perfection. <laughs> it doesn't really well, exist. Yeah, like we live in this culture where it's just like more, more external, external, like nothing is ever enough. There's always someone this, like, you know, prettier or has more money or has mm -hmm. a better career or like is doing this. And I just think that that's the really unfortunate mentality of social media is like, there's not a lot of space for just being who you are, where you're at. It's always more. And, and that's an impossibility mm -hmm. to continue to reach. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion on eating disorders. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. If you're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM 640, I'm Laura Bellotta with Joan Kelly Walker and Kyla Fox. She's our special guest tonight. We're getting back to our chat on eating disorders. So I'm wondering, what are the signs that you can look for if, you, if you're starting to recognize that someone is dealing with an eating disorder, whether you're a partner, a parent, or a friend, there must be signs that you can look for. What would those signs be? There are. There are many, actually. I mean, I think, I think there's a couple different ways to consider them. So there's, there's a lot in food that you could be looking for. Some of those things would maybe be like, you know, noticing that, um, you know, that person doesn't want to join mealtimes anymore, or they're always working to, and they can't be there, or, um, you know, they're changing the ways in which they would eat. Uh, they're cutting certain things out or eating more of certain things, or perhaps you might notice that someone's hiding food or eating in private or sneaking food. Maybe you'd find wrappers, maybe you would find food around. Um, maybe um, the other thing is that um, people are doing things with food that they wouldn't normally do. Like suddenly they're not hungry or kids are coming home with their lunches full or different kinds of changes that you notice to the ways that that person would engage with food. 
I also think of, of course, like, you know, the body can change depending upon the symptoms that a person is having and the, and the, um, you know, uh, frequency of those symptoms. Somebody may be gaining a lot of weight. Somebody may be losing a lot of weight. Um, I think there's always the indications if someone is going to the bathroom after meals and what they're doing in there. I think those pieces are really important as well to consider. And then I think there's a whole other host of things to consider when you're thinking about eating disorders, because often those behaviors might be secretive for a while, or they just might not be seen. And so, you know, looking at uh, a person's affect, are they, are they withdrawn? Are they tired? Are they getting up and doing the things that they love, or they're not able to in the same ways? Is there a level of irritability or agitation or anger or frustration sadness, loneliness, choosing isolation when they would normally choose to be connected to people. And so I think like um, emotional shifts and, and maybe different social things that, that seem a little bit different and off, um, those are things to look for. And I, I, think, I think really the, the, the most important thing to do when those things maybe are noticed is to say so. Because often what I find is that um, there's so much discomfort around how do I say this or what do I even say, or maybe it's nothing, or maybe I should just leave this alone. But I really think that there's uh, a lot of power in honesty. And I think the more that we can express our concern for the people that we love, um, even if they may not be ready to hear it, I think there are a lot of really soft and kind ways that we can tell someone that we're worried and it may just be as simple as, you know, I'm noticing this and I'm worried about you. Um, I think that's um, an important starting place is honesty. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, let's talk about the communication a little bit more, okay? So, because eating disorders may be something you know, difficult to talk about. Um, do you have more tips um, for communicating effectively you know, while you're trying to talk to a partner about this and maybe for both sides. Yeah. You know, I think that it's an uncomfortable situation if this is the kind of thing that's just going to be coming out and coming out in certain moments, especially if people have been connected for quite a long time, maybe all their life if it's family. Right. Um, I don't think there's like a right way to say things or the way to say things. Um, I just think, like I had said before, that honesty is really important. So um, it's really likely when someone's suffering with an eating disorder that there's, you know, shame and, and likely a lot of defensiveness. And so it's, it's, it's common that a person who's being confronted is going to come up against that, you know, but I feel like when we love people and we know that they're suffering or we see that they're changing, um, I think it's just important to point those things out. Like we used to be able to do these kinds of things and now we can't, and I don't understand why. Or you used to really love going here and now you never wanna do that. Do you know why? So I think it's about inviting openness to a conversation um, and the opportunity to just ask the questions without the judgments, to learn and to create space where you know someone could be safe enough to be honest, um, and I think I think that has to happen on both sides. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, fear of judgment is really important. And I can't help but think about that uh, movie about Princess Diana starring Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see that where, you know, they're pretty honest about her bulimia. And there's a scene where uh, she goes into the bathroom after the dinner and she comes out and, and Charles says something to her about, you know, I guess you didn't keep it down or something. And it was like, it, it came across as if pure judgment. Now, I don't know what the actual situation was or how, how accurate that would be, but you would think that fear of judgment would be really, really terrifying. Um, so, I mean, that's just a, a point I wanted to make. And, and I think that's probably a good stepping off point for most conversations. Like you said, honesty and no judgment. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, you know, I think it's a really, this is a really sensitive space, you know, and it's a really tender place for people. And, um, you know, even if your intention isn't to judge or that you're even not judging, it is really likely that the person you might be confronting will feel that way. And so Mm -hmm. saying things like, I need you to know that I'm not judging you. I'm worried about you. They're different things. You know, sometimes we might just need to say that really clearly um, in hopes that it will land. Um, But judgment is is a very real thing. And I think often is brought about because there's such a lack of understanding about what eating disorders are and, you know, comments like, well, why can't you just eat? Or why can't you just stop eating? Or, you know, uh, those, those kinds of normalized ways that people confront people with eating disorders um, really create a lot of silence and really um, support a lot of judgment. So it's really about moving away from that and asking questions and asking the why and really needing to be with some in what they're suffering. Yeah. And just before the break, I just want to mention something quick. Like I I think that eating disorders are a lot more prevalent than we think. And, you know, but I think a lot of us are able to pull ourselves out of it because I mean, talking about this now, I just have flashbacks to when I was in high school, I went through a stage where I was puking, you know, I felt like I was chubby or whatever. And I wanted to look a certain way in high school. And I remember going to the bathroom and, and getting rid of my food a couple of times. Um, and that acidity and stuff building up, but I was able to pull myself out of it. And I'll be honest, I don't remember why or how I was able to pull myself out of it, but I, I didn't do it for long. And um, so I, I'm assuming that there are more people like myself that are strong enough to say, Hey, okay, recognize that it's wrong and that it's unhealthy. I think that was what 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 was the kicker. I think that I realized that it was so unhealthy, you know, and that it would end up harming me. I think it was like it was going to rot my teeth or something. <laughs> I think that was I was like my teeth. No, I think um, some people have the ability to, um, you know, I, like maybe maybe not um, fall into really acute eating disorders, but I think that's sort of the spectrum of eating disorders and disordered eating and people dabbling in harmful behaviors and people acutely being in harmful behaviors. So this is where there's such a wide spectrum of the level of that people suffer and, and why and when. I mean, your story is really interesting because I think that there are a lot of people who may may and do um, test these behaviors to see what they feel like for them. But I think ultimately eating disorders, again, come back to those deeper pieces, right? Right. After the break, we will be discussing moving forward and healing from eating disorders.
Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News. Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640. I'm Laura Bellata with Joan Kelly Walker and our special guest, Kyla Fox. And uh, we are now going to be chatting about eating disorders and how to heal. So, Laura, thanks uh, before the break for sharing your story. And, uh, you know, I was also one of those young women and I've never talked about this publicly. Um, but like we're, we're talking about healing and how do you move forward with these things? And for me, what happened was I found a group and I went to a group and I, I looked around and I thought, I don't belong here. This is, I, I got to make a choice. And somehow I just managed to, to figure it out and move away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm the most orderly eater. Like I do, um, you know, I'm pretty mindful of what goes in and, uh, you know, and then, and then I'll go and eat, you know, too much of one thing. So I am, I'm very sensitive to that. But uh, so what can people do to help themselves to heal from an eating disorder? I think the first step is sort of what you've both, you know, modeled even today is honesty, like just saying that it's real, you know, I think that that is a massive entry into healing because most people who are in really serious harm are, are in so in secret, in secrets, in secrecy, excuse me. And um, one of the most powerful weapons against eating disorders becoming more and more prevalent is being able to be more and more honest so that there's less and less space to have the symptoms. And I think that's the most important starting point. So you mentioned earlier that there's such huge waiting lists. So if someone is really desperate, where do they turn? What do they do? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think, you know, uh, having private care, you know, that's that's what my center offers. And there's a lot of uh, professionals and services that are in private care. Obviously, that comes at a cost. So that makes things challenging for people. I think um, there's services available that are free, that are group oriented, Um, I think it's about connecting and being surrounded by people that are aware that this is happening to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the more people who love you and who are around you, the more that they're aware, the safer you can be. Um, I really think that people with eating disorders um, really require outside intervention, not only for them, but also for the people around them, because um, it, it's it's really impossible to recover on your own. And so if you're eyeball deep in an eating disorder, being able to have, you know, people and professionals around you who can really support you and guide you um, can be a really important part of this. Having medical attention um, is also really key. And finding spaces in life that I think really move you and make you feel like you're a part of something. You know, sometimes it doesn't always have to be formalized treatment. For some people, that's really critical. Um, or at some stages in recovery, that's really critical. But sometimes it might be 
you know, joining a really important class where you feel really inspired by the people that are there. And that makes you feel like there's purpose in your life. You know, I think a lot of recovery is kind of like finding yourself and being able to connect to things that make you feel good, that accept you for who you are, that you feel you can be yourself in, and that ultimately facing the things that you've been through and moving away from shame. So, um, you know, the trickiest thing about eating disorder recovery in truth is that there's no right way and there's no one way to move through this. So sometimes, you know, even, even though wait lists are unbelievably extensive and there's so many problems with our healthcare as a result of this, and there's a law that at higher levels of, of power that need to maybe be altered in order to help to get beds for people who are deeply suffering and so on. That's a whole other show, I guess. But, you know, I think, I think ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it's about finding the things that help you to feel good about yourself and help you to feel worthy and help you to feel safe um, and help you to know how to nourish your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a big advocate for support groups. I like, I lean on friends for everything. So I think it's so important to have support, you know, joining support groups, talking to your friends, talking to your family members, but sometimes it's not always easy doing that. Um, yeah. And sometimes people don't have those people either. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's why joining support groups is great. But if you do mm-hmm. have friends, like always lean on your friends, always, always lean on your friends. And as if you're a male, and, I mean, cause some guys, they're timid and, and they don't think it's, it's, it's right to, you know, to, they, to, to talk to their friends about issues, but I encourage you to as well. So if you find yourself in this position, right. And you want to chat with your friends or your partner, um, and you don't know how to bring it up and ask for their support. And how can we do that? I think it, it. I think it's just about sort of stepping into uh, some really uncomfortable spaces. It might require you to close your eyes. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I don't think there's an easy way. This is what's so challenging about it. I think it's kind of about taking the plunge and just saying, like, this is what's happening, and I'm afraid, and I don't know who to turn to, and you're feel like the safest person to me, and so I'm going to tell you this, and I'm afraid you're going to judge me. I think it's again just all of those things that you feel and think, and being able to name them. Try it out if you have to. Do you have any advice for anyone who's working through an eating disorder right now that we have not talked about today on the show? I I think what's really important to remember is that eating disorder recovery takes a really long time. Um, I think that often can feel really overwhelming for people. And I think as a result of that, people might not feel like it's moving fast enough or that they're missing out on life or whatever the case may be. And I, I, I think the message I always like to give is just, just stay in, just stay in a little longer. Um, I think transformations happen over time. I think there's a quality of patience that really shows through over the course of, you know, the long term of someone's recovery. And um, I think, I think, you know, the, the endless commitment that a person needs to make to be well really, really does pay off. Well, thank you so much for joining us, ladies. Um, I hope that tonight's show was able to give uh, some of you out there some insight into how eating disorders affects all of us and our relationships. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, you can learn more about how uh, the Kyla Fox Center can help you at www.kylafoxcenter.com. Is there any other place where people can get a hold of you, Kyla? I'm sure. My handle on Instagram is at Kyla Fox Recovery. So that's a good place as well. 
Okay, thank you. And thank you so much for joining us um, and so helping all me. these people who are tuning in. Joan, where can we get a hold of you? On Instagram, it's Joan Kelly Walker Official, or my website is joankellywalker.com. And you can connect with me at Official Laura Galata on Instagram and TikTok. And please check out singleinthecity.ca if you are looking for love. Thank you guys for tuning in. Ciao for now.